0: Hi, this is Heather. And before we get into this episode, I just want to let you know of an opportunity that I am providing for you and anybody else that you think might appreciate it. I am offering a workshop about how to calm your mind in the branches of your family tree. So often we have just crazy brains that are so busy jumping from one obligation to the next, figuring out problems before they even happen, worrying about things that we can't change. And I want to show you how you can change your approach to researching your family history. Use the research process to help you to train your brain to slow down, to be able to think clearly, and with that clarity of mind, be able to improve your relationships, improve your satisfaction of how your life is living. So if this is something that you think might benefit you, go ahead and jump down to the show notes. There is a link and you can get signed up. And go ahead and email me if you have any problems or questions at heather at HeatherMurphygen.com. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Stories in Our Roots podcast. I'm your host, Heather Murphy. In this podcast, we dive deep into how knowing the stories of our ancestors can make a difference in our lives today. Discovering our family history is more than a hobby. It is a way to connect deeply with ourselves, those we love, and the world around us. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories in Our Roots. Today's guest is Cassandra Lane. She is the winner of the Louise Merriweather First Book Prize, author of We Are Bridges, a memoir, and editor-in-chief of L.A. Parent Magazine. She previously worked as a newspaper staff reporter and received an MFA in creative writing from Antioch University, L.A. I'm looking forward to having you hear Cassandra's story about why she decided to put together this book, the evolution of how it came to be and the things that she learned as she was researching and imagining the lives of her ancestors and how she looked at their stories to help her understand and make sense of the way that she looked at the world. Here is the interview with Cassandra Lane. Hi, Cassandra. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to hearing and sharing your stories Could you start by introducing yourself, please? Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for having me on. I think what you you do is amazing.
1: My name is Cassandra Lane. I am a writer. I'm an editor. I'm a former journalist. I'm from Louisiana, which is where I started my journalism career. But about after about 10 years in the business, I really wanted to take the leap and pursue what I always truly wanted to do, which was creative writing. And I went back to school, moved from Louisiana to Los Angeles which is where I've been now 20 years. I am the editor-in-chief of LA Parent Magazine. I just published my first book a couple of months ago. We Are Bridges, a memoir. I'm a mom, a wife,
0: all of that. Great. Thank you so much. Now, can you share what was going on in your life when you decided that you wanted to research your family history?
1: Yeah, it all has to do with that trek that migration from Louisiana to Los Angeles, which was a big culture shock. I was so far away from blood family. While I was in Louisiana, I knew a little bit about my family history. So this book tells the story, or attempts to tell the story of my great-grandparents, Mary Magdalene McGee and Bert Bridges, who were so in love, very young and in love. And unfortunately, that love was cut short by a lynching. Around 1904, my grandmother was pregnant with my grandfather, my mother's father, and so I knew some of that story when I was a young adult, and a little bit even before that, a little bit of it. But I wasn't obsessed with it and trying to pursue learning more until I came out to Los Angeles and I had just enrolled in an MFA program at Antioch University, LA. I went in with another proposal, but that ended up being a change to this exploration into what had happened to my grandfather um, or my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother and how that had impacted not only that couple, but the generations that came after them, including my own.
0: Okay. And so what was it like for you at the beginning of that journey? What steps were you taking to be able to find out the story behind the little bits that you had?
1: Yeah, so this would have been around two thousand one, two thousand two. It was very frustrating. I, you know, wasn't on social. We didn't have social media. I was so far away from family, and for me, it truly was an emotional journey. I was looking at myself in terms of why I was the way that I am around romance and marriage and race. And I was in therapy. I was journaling a lot. So I just started talking to my grandparents. By that point, we're all gone. But I started talking to my mom, who's kind of a family historian and a story to an oral storyteller, I call her, and my favorite uncle, Uncle Cricket, who also was interested in what had happened to her, our great to our ancestors. And Uncle Cricket was just very supportive. Grandma Mary, unfortunately, did not tell us a lot when she was living. That was just such a painful part of her past. She remarried after the lynching. Migrated from Mississippi to Louisiana, which is where we all ended up being. Married a man who unfortunately was abusive to her and to my grandfather. And so even though she didn't want to talk about Bert bridges uh, while she was living on her deathbed in her 90s, he came back up for her. And she, my mom tells me that she was crying to her about how beautiful he was and how strong he was, how proud he was, how much she loved him and how the white people lynched him. And then she just shut down and said, I'm not going to talk about my Bert anymore, baby. I'm I'm not going to talk about him. Um, So we've truly only had those two words, Bert Bridges, the fact that he was physically beautiful, that they were so in love and that he was my grandfather's biological father and that this atrocity happened to him. And my uncle, you know, found some family, distant family members, asked questions. Not much was revealed. I started looking um, at calling the state of Mississippi for records. Unfortunately, in the county in which that lynching likely took place, there was a courthouse fire in 1912. So any records prior to 1912 were were gone, if there ever were any records on him. So it was a very frustrating time to try to find, you know, facts and records since there weren't. Any, I wasn't really able to travel in the way that I wanted to. So for me, the story became more emotional and creative. And what I focused on were the gaps. And what do those gaps, especially in African-American families, so many of us don't have, we can't trace our family lineage back far too far. I wanted to look at what those, the impact of those gaps on, on a family. And so what I started doing was writing around that in a poetic way, in a way that also fictionalized. I started fictionalizing a story around Bert and Mary, imagining them as as two young people in love, just to humanize them. So yes, I I wrote about the tragedy, but I also wrote about or just imagined their love based on those few little words that Great Grandma Mary said about about his beauty and her love for him. Um, later, you and this this is a story that I've been working on for almost 20 years. So later I did do more research. I joined Ancestry.com. I did a DNA test, you know, as technologies began to change and I had access to more. And the story has evolved in so many ways. For instance, at the time of the initial writing, I was not a mom. I wasn't planning on becoming a mom. So all of my focus was really on Bert Bridges and what happened to him. In 2006, I was pregnant. And the book took another turn. I started focusing on the women and the family and my and grandma, Mary, and the, the fact that she was the survivor and what that must have been like for her to be pregnant and, and go through a lynching. So I started weaving in. It became this, this woven story of this ancestral look with my contemporary story of becoming a mom. I did make a trip to that town, which is now a ghost town in 2018. I walked around Cemetery, I walked around the ghost town, I've just done, you know, lots of research on the town. I've done a lot of research on what was happening in 1904 that we do know about, whether that was nationally in Mississippi, Louisiana, et cetera, because I was very interested in contrasting those gaps with the solid, hard facts that we have in order to amplify the gaps even more.
0: Great. Right. Great. There is a couple um, things that I want to touch on. What you said is um, one of the things. I think it's great that even if you didn't have the records, you found ways, like you said, to fill in those gaps. Even though it wasn't specifically about your ancestor, that you were able to find out what was it like to live in that place or what was going on in that time to give you more context to do that imagining part that you said.
1: Absolutely. Newspaper clippings. I have tons of books on lynchings. The very famous book Without Sanctuary, which is a collection of horrific lynching postcards that people would mail out to their relatives and Mm -hmm. friends. Just atrocious. But looking at those images again helped my imagination. Looking at newspaper clippings, I have a, a book about, you know, the lynchings that were written about. And in a lot of cases, they were, the victims were just called unknown. So maybe he was one of those unknowns. Um, but I, yeah, I, I used all of those those pieces of information to help construct the story.
0: And I think it's really valuable. Like a lot of times in genealogy, we're about the facts and what what is the data that we can get. But I think it's so valuable to do what you've done and do that. Imagining, contemplating what their lives could have been like, would have been like. What has been the benefit from doing that for you?
1: Just really, um, it, I feel connected to them in a way that I didn't before. I do remember Grandma Mary very, very well. I was 11 when she died after her husband, her second husband died. In the 70s, she continued on with her farm. She never had any other children, but she continued on with her. She was a farmer and she continued on with her farm until she just couldn't do it anymore. And that would have been like 90. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she moved into my grandparents' home around the same time that my mother and us kids moved back in after my mother's divorce. So here was this, you know, yes, it was poverty, but it also was very rich. Because we had all of these generations living in one, one home. So I remember her food, especially her tea cakes. I remember her shooing away ghosts. I remember her napping in the old, you know, tobacco-colored recliner and, and dipping snuff. So I remember all of those like sensory details, but trying to imagine her as this young woman, trying to imagine her pregnant, in love, there are sensual moments in the book. It just tied me to her and to Bert in a much more, I don't know, deeper, humane way. Of course, a lot of it's projection because I'm a romantic, so I was able to project that onto them. But yeah, they are my blood. And so a part of their DNA lives within me. So I just feel much more ownership, a deeper
0: sense of identity and love. And how has knowing their story better contributed to that better sense of identity for yourself? Oh, it's just been, one, I understand, you know,
1: some of the insecurities, not only in myself, but in the family. How do we inherit depression, mental illness? When I look back at my, at her son, my grandfather, who I was an adult when he passed, I I remember him very well, but, you know, no one called a depression, no one called it mental illness, but certainly he was dealing with that. So it just, it helped me look back at him and other people in the family and myself with a deeper compassion, a deeper understanding and appreciation of mental illness and and how we need to make sure that we have the supports in place for ourselves and our family members. Yeah, it's just absolutely a deeper understanding and the language to, to put around things that confuse you that, that things that confuse you as a child that you just don't understand. And even as a young adult. Um, and now I can you see certain echoes within the family that sometimes are heartbreaking. But again, it's makes it much more understandable when you understand the roots.
0: What are some of the joys you've taken from researching and learning about those ancestors? Because I know there's that that trauma piece. But what about the other side?
1: Mm, yeah, I talk about the food that's a big <laughs> thing for me because i love I love eating. My grandmother taught me how to cook so I, I am so proud of these women and how, yes, they were domestics, they learned, they knew how to quilt, they knew how to cook from scratch without measuring, but they also were laborers, farmers and gardeners, they knew how to build community. the community I remember. Our front door was like a revolving door. It was never locked. Locked, And the community came to these women for cups of sugar and flour and prayer and, and, and sometimes just a listening ear. And so I can see those things within me when I think about my community of friends and the way that I've kind of built my community of friends. I can see my grandmothers in me. So those are things that are very exciting to me. And despite the lack of physical wealth, there's such wealth there. I appreciate nature because of, of my family and where we grew up. There was some woods behind the home. My son can barely identify different insects. <laughs> <laughs> and So I can see, you know, how not growing up in that kind of environment, um, you know, how that's hurt him in some ways. Of course, we we make sure that we go hiking and we can take vacations and things like that. But he's a little bit more, and even my husband, hesitant to eat some fruit off a tree that they can't. (laughs) It didn't come out of a grocery store. Um, I also really value that we have this huge family in this small town because now in so many cases, families are divided by geography and we're spread out all over the place. My, my son is not growing up with the benefit of growing up with tons of cousins and uh, aunts and uncles. So those are things that have been lost that I deeply value.
0: So are there things that you do to try to kind of make up for that distance to make sure he's not completely disconnected from the family? Absolutely.
1: So my mom now lives in Florida, which she has for 20 plus years. So we we do see her every year or more um, around the holidays. And it's the South. It's not Louisiana, but it's a, it's still you know the South for him. It's very exciting. He's gone to. Uh, we've taken him to New Orleans. He loved his trip to New Orleans. And he's been to my hometown, De Ritter, Louisiana, and he absolutely loved that and eating the crawfish and the boudin and, you know, all the cousins that he never knew about. So he is obsessed with Louisiana and the accents and the food. I make sure here in L.A. that we try to eat healthy, but on holidays, I will cook those old foods that my grandmother's taught me how to cook. He does a lot of research on his own and he'll ask me questions you know, about different, whether it's musicians. My mom is a musician, uh, so they talk all the time on Google Duo (laughs) about Mm -hmm. music and the past and all of that. When he's studying in school, a history lesson, whether it's on the civil rights or what have you, he's able to, I encourage him to relate that back to his grandparents and how he needs to make sure that he's asking his grandma, well, what you were alive during that period. What was it like for you or both of his grandmothers? And he's done, done that. So that, those are some ways we've definitely tried to keep it alive and, and keep those connections going.
0: So not everyone who researches their family history decides to write a book. Why did you decide to make it into a book?
1: I think because I'm a writer and that's probably the only I don't know if I would have necessarily researched family history if I weren't a writer. For me, writing is such a psychological dig whatever I'm writing, even as a journalist. And so when I turned the lens on myself, after looking outward for so long, for so many years, interviewing so many, just countless people, when I turned the lens on myself, I knew that I'm not an island. No person is an island. So I had to connect those dots. And so, of course, I had to look at my bloodline and family. Yeah. So for me, I think it's the other way around for me because I'm a writer, because I'm constantly asking, why are things the way they are? It drove me to my family. (laughs) I don't know how they feel about that, but (laughs) I was compelled to do it because of my own psychological and emotional work.
0: That's great because there is so much that we can learn about ourselves by learning the stories of the people who led to ours. Because I think of it as like our our parents and grandparents, each generation has this little packet of beliefs and things that happened to them that they pass to the next generation. And if you don't know what your parents got in their little package, how can you understand what they gave to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the comments that you made before we had this interview was that by writing this and by researching your family, you were leaving a blueprint for the future. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I love the idea of blueprint. And i my I have to give it to my publishers for coining that, um, the marketing team, which I absolutely love. And I love that the cover of the book is blue to kind of match that. Yeah. I think what it means for me is that despite that I was faced with or that the family is faced with these gaps, not knowing who our family was prior to Mary. And so many people in the family didn't even know about Bird Bridges. They thought that Buckley, which is the last name of the man she married after the lynching, they genuinely thought that that was the biological last name. And so when I started doing this research and asking, there was a family reunion in in 2001. And I was telling some people about it. They were, it was completely new to them. So I think a blueprint is, yeah, it's something that you can create despite the gaps and despite the ghosts. It's something that, Despite the lack of land, despite the lack of a headstone, a birth certificate or death certificate, through creativity, through crafting a story with love, with revision, with storytelling, there's something that I can pass on to not only my child, but hopefully his children and their children. And a blueprint can also be a guide in some way. How do we want to live our lives? I talk in the book about looking at that history in terms of what to keep, because it's so beautiful and joyous, as you mentioned, and what to discard, because it is um, painful. But also, even within that, that pain and tragedy, there are lessons. So, it's my particular philosophy and my particular story, but perhaps, you know, whether it's my child or, or his children are just complete strangers, readers who pick up the book perhaps it will inspire them to create something for their lives as well.
0: What would you say to people who are a little bit resistant to imagine their ancestors' lives because they feel like it's not accurate? How would you encourage them that it's okay to do that? Yeah,
1: I'm so again, I'm a writer so I'm so about play and and you know, poetry. I'm not a poet, but I love poets and I love how poets play with memory and story. And I was a journalist. So it was all supposedly about fact, right? And all supposedly about being objective. But as a journalist, you can go and this has been proven and cover the same event as three other journalists. And the reports are going to be slightly different. What people see, what people witness is always going to be somewhat different based on their perspective, where they were standing, what they're bringing to it, what they're projecting onto it. And so for me, memory is something that's not set in stone. Memory is something that is flexible, that is malleable. And I think that's okay. And I think if you're writing about family history, that you can bring that understanding to it immediately. If you're writing for the public, you can definitely make sure that you say that in the beginning of the work, that this is a work of imagination or a mixture of imagination and fact and readers I've found are very much uh, they will embrace that because I think the reader understands that memory can be subjective.
0: So after you've done this project you worked on a grad school now it's a a book how else are you continuing to make this exploration of family history part of your life? Mm,
1: Absolutely that's great I We'll continue talking to my son and encouraging him to record. That's one thing that I regret is that I don't have recordings of my grandparents' voices. I can remember them still, but one day I'm not going to be here. And I would love to have shared that with him. All of their idiosyncrasies, their cadences, their, you know, figures of speech, which he thinks are just so interesting. Um, So encouraging him because of that lack, I can now encourage him to record your grandmother, you know, ask her first, but record her, keep a journal. She's bought him a journal before and, you know, interview, uh, he's 14, but he can start those explorations now. For me, the work continues. I did find eventually a death certificate for my great grandmother, for Mary, and there are pieces on there that were like treasure because it validated her. Of course, I knew that she existed. So I have those files I have military records from her son, my grandfather, draft papers. I have photos from the trip that I made to Mississippi. I will go back to stay longer. I found some distant cousins through the DNA testing. I just have tons of files and records beyond what happened to them that I I need to continue to develop. I think there are definitely stories that will come out of some of that it might be just an essay or a poem or what have you, but I'll keep playing with that material. My mom really wants me to explore her mother's side of the story, which is a different part of Louisiana. So I'm interested in in pursuing that as well. It's just never ending. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and even though it's never ending, how would you say that you are different between now and? before you started this journey? Mm, I feel more
1: confident. I feel more, I I just feel more of who I am and who I was always supposed to be. I was always so deathly afraid of everything, so timid, had not found my voice. Or I think it was internal because I was a writer. Even as a kid, I read and I wrote all the time. But I think I was afraid of that voice I am no longer afraid, even as late as 2019, I was saying how every time I even thought about public speaking, that's when things were start, kind of starting to heat up. I hadn't gotten the book contract yet, but it was getting close and people were inviting me to do readings and I would just get physically ill. And now since the book has been out, I've been, been, been doing just countless talks. I don't feel that same physical illness I I can laugh at myself for wasting time feeling. Then that's not to diminish that because that can be. That's a real fear for people, and I've had it for many years. Uh, But I just feel by telling this story that life is short. There's so many things that happened to my ancestors. I feel grateful that I have a life that's that's not steeped in fear and danger, and so I need to embrace that because I have freedoms that they didn't have. And so I just want to tell the world about them and their story and no longer hide my voice.
0: Great. Thank you. <laughs> I will have links in the show notes so that people can get in touch with you and find your book if they're interested in learning more about that story that you shared today. Thank you, Heather. This is wonderful. Thank you for joining me today for Stories in Our Roots. Please help this podcast grow by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. If you have feedback or would like to recommend someone to share their story, head to storiesinourroots.com and fill out the form. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.